What up, Big Sal? Oh, look at you with the timeliness, my boy. Listen, real quick, just a couple of announcements to make sure everybody's on the same page, especially tonight. How many of y'all brought your forms tonight for Breakaway? Anybody brought their forms? Thank you, one of you, two of you. Hey, listen, hear my heart with this, okay? My heart, my prayer is that every single one of you in this room has an opportunity to go to this retreat that we have coming up at the end of April. And I know that God is going to do something because God has been opening doors for it. Uh, yesterday, I had a, a random person in our church come over and hand me a $1,000 check for scholarships for kids to go. Right? God's opening doors with that. As a matter of fact, just now that the man that was shaking my hand, his daughter graduated from Excel years ago, like seven years ago, six years ago. Every year, he comes back during breakaway time to pay for a scholarship for a kid to go to breakaway. Even though his kid graduated years ago, every year they come back and they give money so somebody can experience the things that his daughter got to experience. So I'm telling you, this is the biggest thing we're offering all year. This is one of those times where you're going to look back at it five, six, ten years from later and say that was the moment that God changed everything. And so my heart is that you would get the form, fill it out, turn it, because we can't just take you. That's kidnapping. So we need to make sure we have a filled out form. And if you need me to talk to your parents let me know. I will talk to them. I will beg them. We'll do whatever we need to do to get you permission to be able to come out to this retreat. And if money is an issue, understand it's only an issue in your mind, but I believe God provides. So we can cover it. We have more than enough scholarships available to help somebody out who needs it. Uh, we just need you to sign up. Amen? All right. So I just wanted you guys to understand that. I'm going to tell you a story real quick, and I'm going to be careful because now that we're on Spotify, they're recording things that I say. And I need to be careful about what I tell you because I'm going to give you a story of back when I was your age and the greatest fist fight I ever got into, all right? Uh, now, I'm a pastor now, okay, but I wasn't always a pastor. And so there were some days where other things went down. And uh, I went to Lane, and uh, at, when I was at Lane, there was a school across the bridge. I think now, what is it? What, is, what school is that? DePaul? It was Gordon Tech when I was uh, a kid. And Gordon Tech at the time was an all-boys school. And so those boys always came over the bridge to try to holler at our girls, which we did not care for. And so there was always a little bit of beef between the guys at Gordon Tech and the guys at Lane. And so one day it came to a head, and there was beef between these two individuals, and so they were going to take it out one-on-one. -on -one. And y'all know, one-on-one -on -one fight, everybody comes to watch. And so we're all just kind of watching like it's pay-per-view. And, uh, and it was one-on-one, -on -one and our dude is just destroying their guy. And so, you know, it's, it's a quick thing. He's taking care of them. And then all of a sudden, five or six of the Gordon Tech guys jump in and start beating up on our guy. Which, you know how that goes off, right? So their people jump in and our people jump in. And what started as a one-on-one -on -one fight eventually turned into a 60-person brawl. Okay? So it's an entire parking lot fist fight. And this is one of those scenes... You could not not be in the fight because you could have just been standing there like, oh, doom, oh, now I'm in the fight, right? Like, that's, I would like to say that's what happened to me. But I just, I handed my bag to the girl next to me because that's what girls did at the time. They just held our bags while we fought. And I was like, hold this. It's about to go down. And I remember I ran in full blast. I saw some dude kicking my friend. I went up. He, he was kicking him. And then he started running towards me, and I was running towards him. He didn't see me running towards him. And so by the time he turned around, I just clocked him dead in the nose. And his whole legs went out. He busted his face open. Blood was everywhere. We're picking people up. We're all, I mean, it's going crazy. 
So much so, like, two people ended up going to the hospital. A bunch of other people got hurt. I was the last one standing because everybody ran off and I have asthma. So when everybody left, I was like, "Ah, ah." like, I can't breathe. And then right at the end, my best friend comes over. He said, what happened? I was like, where were you? I was at McDonald's. I was like, I hate you. Come on, man. I'm tired. Let's get out of here. And you think that would have been it, right? But. We got pretty excited from that, like just, you know, brothers, we fought with each other, you know, dumb mentality. And that following Sunday, me and my friends would always get together to play football. And so that day we were extra pumped. We were extra excited to play ball. And so we're playing ball, and the lights start to go down, and we still want to play football. The park we were playing at didn't have any lights. So we said, man, let's go to another park. So we went to Chopin. Chopin had lights. We're like, all right, we're going to go play on Chopin Field. And so we get there. We get out of the car. We start walking towards the football field. But there was already people getting ready to play a game on the football field. So we're like, man, let's see if they'll at least, like, play with us. Or maybe they just finished. Let's go find out. As we get to the field, it's the same dudes we just fought that past Friday. And so you see, one, like, one of their guys, their eye socket was broken. One of our guys in the hospital. So there was still a little heat going on. And so we're, we're, like, getting in each other's face. We're like, oh, you did this to our guy. Yeah, you did it. And so it's starting to get pretty crazy again. And thank God somebody had the bright idea. I'm, I'm praying that it was the Lord. Said, hey, no, 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 let's just play football. You get your best guys, we'll get our best guys, and we'll just play football. So I had the most intense football game of my life. On one of the first plays, I broke a dude's collarbone, which felt pretty good. Like, I felt like, like I was doing something. It all went down. It was intense. I remember... After scoring a touchdown, I just threw up plain water because I was so just exhausted from four or five hours of playing football. What I didn't know is all the other guys that weren't in the game because there were so many of us, they called everybody else. So everybody else came to the park. Only they came with guns. They came with knives. They came just completely ready to get it off on the park. And I'm thinking as I look back at it, how easy I could have just died playing football because maybe something would have got out of hand and people would have shot or people would have done some stuff. Why am I telling you all that? Because I don't fight physically anymore. I don't get into these brawls. I'm a grown man. I don't play that game anymore. Okay? But just because I'm a believer and just because I'm a grown man does not mean that I am still not engaged in battles. And one of the things I talk to about with our leaders is anytime God is about to do a great move, you better believe that the enemy the devil is going to try to kick up his action as well. And it's no surprise, as long as we've been having breakaway, every month leading up to breakaway, all hell seems to start to break loose. On our leaders, in our students' lives, suddenly you're grounded out of nowhere. Suddenly mom decides you can't go. Suddenly money's an issue. Suddenly uh, you start having problems. Suddenly things start to pile up that didn't pile up. Issues start to come that weren't there. And I believe it's the enemy saying, no, I want to prevent them as much as possible from experiencing what God is trying to do in their lives. And so I want to talk to you guys over the next couple weeks, actually. We're going to talk about something that the Bible describes as spiritual warfare. Even though we're not in a physical war, we are in a spiritual war, whether you like it or not. The Bible tells us that there's an earthly realm, but there's also a spiritual realm. There are things that are going on where your eyes can't see. There's battles that are happening beyond what you are able to see in the physical. And I want to talk to you about what we can do when it comes to those fights. And so one of the verses that we're going to look over for the next few weeks is kind of the heart of what we're talking about is Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Leave that up there for me. Understand, the fight isn't flesh and blood anymore. I'm not busting anybody's nose. We're not breaking eye sockets. The fight's not physical. I'm not going to go up to your dad and be like, how come you not let him go to breakaway and then kick him in the chest? That's just, that's not how the fight goes anymore. The fight is spiritual. It's against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, things you don't see with your physical eyes, mighty powers in a dark world against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, this might sound sci-fi to you, but it's not sci-fi. It's spiritual. And you need to understand that the spiritual world is very, very real. Okay? When you die, your body goes down, but your spirit rises up. If you don't believe in the spiritual world, you can't believe in the afterlife. You can't believe in the gospel that says we are born again when we came into a relationship with Christ. Okay? So understand there is a spiritual world. And in that world, there are fights going on for your soul. And so I want to look at a story in the Bible that helps us understand how to battle these fights. And, and it almost lays out a little bit of a battle plan when it comes to the spiritual realm. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down this one thing. One of the first uh, tips to fighting this spiritual fight is, number one, you need to be able to know your enemy. You need to be able to know your enemy. You got to be able to know what they do. Right? I used to tell people, I, I know Mexican judo, right? Judo know what I'm going to do. Judo know if I got a knife. Judo know if I'm going to punch you in the face. I could just do whatever. Like, I got mad skills that way. But in all truth, you need to be able to know your enemy. So I want us to look at a story in 2 Kings. In this portion of 2 Kings, we're going to look at chapter 6. The people of God, the Israelites, had beef with this country of Aram. And the king of Aram was constantly trying to attack the people of Israel. He kept plotting and scheming and he kept coming up with ways to try to attack the people of Israel. But Israel was always one step ahead of them. And so it got to the point where the king's starting to wonder, are there spies in our midst? Is there somebody that's telling Israel what's happening? And I want you to focus in on this because listen to what 2 Kings says, verse 8 through 12. It says, when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such place. But immediately Elijah, and that's an important name to know, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel. Do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elijah warned the king so that he would be on alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elijah, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Okay? <clears throat> They're freaking out. The king is about to kill one of his own officers. He's on this point trying to figure out how is it that the Israelites are always one step ahead of us. Who keeps telling them our plans? And his officers are like, listen, it's not any of us. We're not spies. The prophet Elijah, God speaks to him, and he knows even the very words you say in your bedroom. And this freaks him out a little bit, okay? 
What you need to understand is how important it is to know your enemy. Why was it that the Israelites were able to, to dodge the attacks of the enemy? Because they knew what the enemy was going to do before they did it. They had firsthand knowledge. Okay? Sometimes the reason it feels like you're being sandbagged or sucker punched, the reason it feels like you don't know where this attack is coming from and why is everything subtly happening is because you don't understand the enemy's tactics and plans. You're fighting blindly. You're living your life based on feelings, based on emotions. And the problems with feelings and emotions is they're always reactionary. You're always one step behind because you're reacting to what happened instead of seeing what's going to happen. Elijah could see what was going to happen, not because of any special powers he had, but because of the relationship he had with the living God. When you have a strong relationship with God, you will begin to discern and understand the plans of the enemy. You'll be able to see how he tries to approach you and attack you, and you will be more informed and more equipped to be able to handle that. How do I know that? Well, listen to what Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not equated with the teaching about righteousness. Okay? In other words, man, if you're still a baby, if you're still new to this Christian walk, you don't really understand what it means yet. You haven't figured this part out. But solid food is for the mature. Well, how do I become mature? Here is what it says. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. No soldier enlists in the military and then is immediately thrown into war. You're just killing that person. Okay? There is a training that happens. There are boot camps, and the more uh, elite that soldier is, the more training they have to go through. So just because you went through boot camp doesn't make you a Navy SEAL, right? You got to go through several stages of training the more higher up you go in military. The same thing happens when it comes to spiritual warfare. You have to take time to train your spirit to be able to discern you have to be able to take time to eat solid food. Now, what is he talking about? Some of you, you're still on milk. You've been in church your whole life, but you still have spiritual milk. Well, what's spiritual milk? The only time you ever hear anything about God is Thursday night for a half hour. That's spiritual milk. That means I'm still here feeding you. You haven't learned to pick up the Bible on your own and read it for yourself. So you're still a baby. And there's no wonder why you don't see how the enemy attacks. God literally gave you the whole playbook and you're sitting there going, I don't know what to do. Or I've said this a million times. You got to be a special kind of dumb to fail an open book test. Am I right? Y'all ever seen somebody fail an open book test? And you're like, dude, how did you fail an open book test? I forgot my book. Damn, that's super dumb. <laughs> okay? Some of you are standing before God like, I don't know how I failed. The guy's like, dude, it was an open book test. I don't even have that book. Yeah, but you got the whole Harry Potter series? How do you, how do you not have a Bible? You got the whole Harry Potter series. When you learn to train yourself, and by train myself, it, it doesn't mean read it once, right? Like, you know how sometimes you ever just gone to the gym for like a half hour and you're like, all right, I'm good for life. <laughs> yeah, right. I did cardio for 20 minutes. I'm good for life. That's not how it works. You're not going to have a six-pack because you went in there for half a second unless you're just super, super skinny. Which, by the way, if you're super skinny, your six-pack doesn't count. You're just skinny. Shut up. Okay? If I can see your bones and your muscles, you're skinny, you're not swollen. <laughs> And so this is the same thing with the Bible. If you only rely on what Pastor Joey says once a week, it's the equivalent of somebody who bathes once a week. And you're like, I smell good. I bathe every Thursday. It's like, no, you smell good Thursday. That's it. 
Because Friday, you spicy again. <laughs> Saturday, you funky. Sunday, you dead. Wednesday, get out of my face. Don't even come near me. Your clothes are walking by themselves, okay? You a special kind of nasty. <laughs> we don't do that with our physical body, but we do it with our spiritual body. We allow it to get filthy until we come back next Thursday and clean it again. If you want to be able to succeed in spiritual warfare, you have to train yourself. And I love how it says it. Those who have trained themselves. Solid food is for when a person learns to feed themselves. Okay? When you're a baby, it's okay for somebody to feed you. But, you know, if Joseph comes up to you and says, I'm hungry, Pastor Joey. Could you feed me this and cut up my pancakes? I'm like, bro, I will slap you. You are grown. You, don't know. you better eat your food. If he wants me to chew it and spit it in his mouth like a baby bird, how many know? There's something wrong with Joseph. He needs to grow, right, Joseph? I, I got to pick on you, bro, because I know that's how it goes. And so here's what the Bible is saying. Listen, there comes a point where you got to take, it can't be your mama's faith. It can't be your daddy's faith. It can't be everybody else's thing. At some point, you have to read this for yourself and begin to train yourself to understand it. Now, I, now I get that sometimes you don't always get what you read, but here's the other part of training because it's not just reading your Bible, but we need God's help to understand what we're reading. And that's why prayer is so important. That's why when you have a devotional time, your devotional time is not just sitting down and reading the Bible, but it's praying and asking God to say, listen, help me understand this. Reveal to me the things that I'm not seeing. Listen, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. So how do you get to the point where you grow in knowledge and depth of insight? You pray for it. How do you get a prayer life? You pray for it. How do you get better at reading your Bible? You pray it. And if you're sitting there going, I don't understand how that works. You don't need to understand to be faithful. Just do it. Do it and trust me. It'll work. Okay? I don't understand why people hike, but they do it. And it works. Okay? Just because you don't understand doesn't mean you can just throw it away. And so when you're in a spiritual battle... It's important to understand the tactics of the enemy. And the more you grow spiritually, the more you begin to understand. And so here's the results of that. A mature Christian understands that when they're living right and people are still doing wrong, they start to understand the battle's not against that person. That's, this is a spiritual thing now. An immature person gets mad at the other individual. They start to make enemies of people. They start to hold grudges and hate people. A spiritually mature person understands it's not even about them. An immature person blames mom and dad. A spiritually mature person understands mom and dad were just humans who messed up too. And even if they're not living right, it's not an excuse for me to not live right. And instead, I can pray for the restoration of my mom and dad. Instead of spending the rest of my life paying a therapist to tell them how much I hate my mom and dad. At some point, excuses end when maturity comes in. And you start to take ownership for your own life. And you start to understand, I don't have to be who I was set up to be. I could be who God called me to be. But that only happens through training. And if you're not training, you will die. It's just, again, think about it in war terms. Could you imagine we go into the battlefield and you never train? You don't know how to use your gun? We're in the middle of a battle, and you come over, Pastor Joey, how do I shoot this? I'm like, bro, you better get away from me. I don't even want to stand, because you're a liability to me. Because you're going to get me hurt. 
I wonder how many of you right now, your liability is to the person sitting next to you. Instead of helping them grow spiritually, you're the reason they are stunted in their growth. I don't know about you. I don't want to be anybody's liability. I don't ever want to be the reason why somebody can't grow in who God called them to be. I don't ever want to be the reason why they trip up in spiritual warfare. And so the first thing Elijah was able to do is he had a grasp of what God was doing. He could hear God's voice. He could discern God's voice. God spoke to him, and he relayed that message to the king. But then there's a second part. There's an ability to see beyond your enemy. Number one, you have to know your enemy. But number two, you have to be able to see beyond your enemy. Sometimes we see what the enemy is doing. We see what's going on. We see the situation in our lives, and it feels overwhelming. It feels insurmountable. It feels like you will never be able to get over this portion. You will never be able to defeat it. We look at Goliath and we see 10 feet of fear. We look at situations in our lives, the way the waves raise up, and we just see the overwhelmingness. And listen, overwhelming is not a good feeling. I remember one time I almost drowned in the ocean. That was not a good feeling. I hate the oceans freak me out now. Like just looking out and seeing nothing, I don't want to be in the middle of that. Okay. Why? Because there's an overwhelming feeling of that. You ever been somewhere really, really high and you look down and you're like, you're just thinking like, dude, I could just die right now if I trip. Like, that's overwhelming. It just takes over your senses. Your knees start knocking. You start kind of freaking out. You sweat a lot. And sometimes when the enemy starts to attack, when he starts to flex his muscle a little bit, you get overwhelmed. Let me go back to that story real quick, that big fight we were having. Again, I wasn't really trying to hurt anybody, but I was trying to help my friends get out of what was going on. And so I kept seeing circles around my friends, and I would push people off, and I'd pick my friends up, or sometimes I'd hit the guys to get them off. And I remember at one point, I ran up behind one of my guys who was in the middle, like four or five guys hitting him. And I went over, and I just hit the dude right in the back of the head. And the dude was kind of hunched over, so I couldn't tell who it was or what was going on. But after I hit him, he got up, and dude was big, like way bigger than me. I'll be honest with y'all, I was freaking out in my head. Like, it happened like in a second. But I remember thinking, oh man, this guy's gonna kill me. <laughs> like, I was freaking out. So I had a split decision to make. And I, I kid you not, it felt like a millennia, but it was seconds. But in my mind, I remember thinking, all right, you can either let this dude beat you up, and he can and probably will, or just act like you can do it. <laughs> you know the old school move, like if you can't fight, just pretend like you can, and hopefully they get scared and run. You get your, your voice, come on, come on, come on, come on, man. Like, I just, I'm like, let me freak out, right? So he got up, and I, I was like, I'm going to choose plan B. I'm going to just, I'm going to puff up, and I'm going to see if I can punk him out. So he gets up, and I'm like, come on, bro, come on, let's go. And in my mind, I'm like, please, go away. <laughs> let's go. And he looked at me, and he saw how hype I was, and he ran off. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. That guy would have destroyed me. <laughs> Listen, sometimes we can see the height of our enemy. And you can either run, and if you do, you'll run the rest of your life. Or you can hold your ground and say, let's go. Now, here's the deal. In that situation, guaranteed I would have lost. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> I would have I got a shot in, but I would have lost. But in Elijah's case, it was different. Listen to what the Bible says. 2 Kings, verse 13 through 17, going back to that story. This is the king. Go and find out where he is, talking about Elijah. The king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. So now the plan is, let's take out Elijah. And the report came back, Elijah is at Dothan. 
So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Think about this. One man, he sends an entire army to capture. I don't know about y'all. I'd feel kind of dope. Like, oh, snap, you needed a whole army to get me? I'd be excited about that. It says that there was a whole army and they surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside where the troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elijah. And listen, I love Elijah. Look at how this is the most G response ever. Don't be afraid. I, 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 you probably said like this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Elijah told them, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Ooh. Don't be afraid. Why? Because there are more on our side than on theirs. And then he goes like this. Then Elijah prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. What's going on? Elijah's servant can see the enemy, but he can't see God's people. He can see the problem, but he can't see the solution. And so when Elijah sees him freak out, he goes, dude, you can't even see it. And he understands, I can't tell you. You're going to have to see it for yourself. And so Elijah prays, oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elijah filled with horses and chariots of fire. What does he see? He sees the army of Aram surrounded by the army of heaven. He sees more than chariots. He sees flaming chariots of fire. And he realizes there are more that are with us than that are against us. Sometimes you have to get to the point where you can see beyond your enemies. Where you can see past what's freaking you out. Where you can see past the ones that are against you and see the one who is for you. Too often we're made to feel overwhelmed and outnumbered. And just like that guy, my bark, which was better than my bite, caused him to run. Sometimes you allow the devil's chihuahua little bark to freak you out. And you give up. You walk away. You say things like, oh, I can't go to retreat. Why not? We don't have money. Why are you punking out to money? Money's not an issue for God. Oh, uh, well, I'm, I don't want to ask. Why are you punking out to pride? Get over your pride. Shut up. Stop being dumb. Do you want to go? Yeah. Then let's go. You know, every year I have that same dumb talk with people. Hey, do you want to go? Yeah, but, you know, we don't have any money. Okay, do you want to go? Yeah, I do, but, you know, I don't want to ask. Oh, my gosh, stop being like, do you want to go? Yeah, then go, bro. People gave me money to give to you. Now, listen, if I know you got if you walked up with New Jordans and your mama said, I gave him the money to pay for it, then we have a different conversation. Then you become my enemy. <laughs> but in all seriousness, sometimes we look at the situation, and I'm, I get you, I was there. Class ring, I didn't buy a class ring. Why? I didn't even tell my parents about it because I just knew our situation at home. We didn't have money. And I remember my dad getting mad at me. Why don't you tell me about the ring? I, I bought your sisters a ring. I was going to buy you a ring. I said, Pop, we didn't have money. I wasn't going to put that on you. And a lot of times I had this mentality that we can't, we can't, we can't. And some of y'all, you grew up with that mentality because everybody's always told you you can't. Because everybody's already set that mindset on you that you can't. You look at the size of the enemy the situations in your household, the history of your past, you look at how big that is and you go, you know what, there's no way I can do it. But you got to learn to look beyond your enemy. Listen, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, but you belong to God. 
You belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Some of you are already walking victorious and you don't even know it. There was a story actually about a a man in Japan who was found, I think it was in the 70s or 80s, hiding in a cave in Japan. He was a soldier for Japan during World War II. He was hiding in the caves thinking the war was still going on, even though the war had ended some 30 years before. Some of you are living hidden in your caves because you don't understand that God has already given you victory over some of those things in your life. The war was over when you said yes to Jesus, but you still act like you're in a battle. You still act like you're a victim. You still take on the mentality of woe is me. I'll never be able to do it. I'll never get to that level. You have a victim's mentality when God called you to have a victorious one. And you wonder why the enemy wins. Honestly, you let him. You gave up ground. So much of our issues has to do with our mentality, with how we see things. And all you ever see is the enemy. All you ever see is your past. All you ever see are your issues. All you ever see is your circumstances. All you ever see are the finances. And God is telling you, Baba, can you just look beyond that? Can you open your eyes to see that the one who is in you, my spirit, is greater than anything that could ever come against you? And what does Elijah tell his servant? He tells him, look, there are more with us than are against us. Understand this, God is on your side. God wants to give you victory. But you got to be willing to take that step of faith and accept it. you got to be willing to live in victory as well. And the third thing is this, going back to the story of Elijah. So Elijah, he's doing this whole thing. He's telling the Israelites all the plans of the enemy. The enemy sends a whole army to get Elijah. Elijah's not phased. Elijah's not even tripping. His servant was for a second, but he asked God to open the eyes of his servant, and he's able to see the vast army of heaven that's on his side. And then he does something interesting. Because here's an opportunity for him to completely wipe out the enemy. And instead, he chooses to love them. Look at what happens. 2 Kings, verse 18 through 23. So as the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elijah prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So he opens the eyes of his servant, but then he prays that God would blind them. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. Then Elijah went out and told them, you have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you are looking for. Elijah literally just bugs bunnied a whole army. Okay, he literally just asked God to blind him, and he's like, hey, what are you looking for? And like, oh, wabbit. Oh, yeah, I'll take you to the wabbit. Like he's straight up Elmer Fudds, this whole army. I'm just sorry, this guy's a G. He can call for blindness, he can call for eyes to be open. And there is something amazing when you have a relationship with God. And so he goes up to this army as God blinds them. Now, they're not like totally blind. They just don't recognize Elijah. They don't know who he is. Because if they were totally blind, they'd be tripping on each other. And so he asked them to blind him. And he says, the guy you're not looking for, he's not here. And he led them to the city of Samaria where they were at. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elijah prayed, Oh, Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. In other words, they were right in the middle of their enemy's territory. 
So Elijah goes over, blinds them, and then walks them into his camp, his army, his people, and he puts them dead center in the city of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elijah, my father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Okay, here's the problem with that mindset. Again, the king of Israel was not a good king, just in case you didn't know that. Elijah loved God's people, and so he told them stuff, but he was a, it was a bad king. And you can tell by his response. He sees his enemies in a vulnerable situation, and his immediate response is, now's my opportunity to kill them. Well, that's not what God wants. When I was in that football game, my people had an opportunity to hurt these other people. And in a very real sense, even kill them. I thank God that we took it out in a gentlemanly and a fun way. That instead of turning to guns and violence, we played a game. And everybody went home alive. Everybody went home with a good story. All the beef ended. All the issues and dramas that could have carried on for months and months and months were over. And there was peace. See, here's the deal. You can really tell who you are when you're given the upper hand and choose to open your arms rather than use them to hurt somebody. You can really see the work of God in you when you finally have an opportunity to hurt those who hurt you and you choose to love them instead. If we're honest, I mean, if we're really honest, many of us in this room, given a chance to get back to somebody that really hurt us, and I'm not diminishing the hurt that you've experienced. There are many of us, if you had ever the chance to get back to the person who violated you, to get back at the person who stripped you of innocence, to get back to the person who hurt you physically, to get back at that person who denied you, who humiliated you. There's a lot of us that given a chance to hurt someone who hurt us, we would probably take it. And this is what the king of Israel looks at. He says, here's our opportunity. God, you've put them in my hands. Should I crush them? And I love Elijah's response. Exclamation point, of course not. Of course not. It's almost like Elijah, are you dumb? Of course not. That's not the reason why God has brought them here. Elijah replied, do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and sent them home to their master. After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Do we kill them? No, we feed them. Do we kill them? No, we love them. Why? Well, here's something you need to understand from ancient times in those times, if there was a meal between two enemies, if there was a meal that was shared, it was symbolic of a peace treaty. We broke bread, meaning we are now gone from enemies to friends. And that's why they never attacked them again. Because they made a covenant with them, a promise. When they broke bread, there was a promise being made. That I will not attack you anymore because we broke bread together. We've loved on each other. If you ever have an opportunity to hurt the ones that hurt you, take that opportunity to love them. I know it's hard, and I know it's counter your natural inclinations, which are sinful to begin with. But if you have an opportunity to hurt someone that hurt you, learn to love them through it. Because guess what? 
the most powerful and effective way to destroy your enemy is to make them your friend. If you can turn an enemy into a friend, they will no longer ever be an enemy. You've destroyed them completely because they're not your enemy anymore. They're your friend. And listen, we do this all the time in a lesser extent. How many of y'all know, how many of y'all have a best friend that you absolutely hated the first time you saw them? Right? Anybody have that? Where you saw them first time, like, ugh, she ugly. <laughs> ugh, he thinks he's so cool. Punch him in his face. Like, I'll be honest with you. Most times, most people I meet for the first time, I'm like, I don't like that person. <laughs> But when you learn to open that door and you learn to love somebody through that process, some of your greatest friends started out as your greatest enemies. And if you can learn to do that moving forward, but listen, Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 28. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Hold that up there for a second because it's important to understand. Listen how he prefaces that. But to you who are willing to listen. There's some of you, you're not willing to listen. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I know I'm supposed to love my enemies, but I won't. I know I'm supposed to turn the other cheek, but they're going to get the other fist instead. Right? I know your mentality, but here's how he says it. And Luke, Luke is admonishing you. If you're willing to listen, listen to this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. It's an insane concept. But God's ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts. And can I be honest with y'all? People don't know how to react to that. Because hate feeds hate. So if somebody comes at you and you come back at them, it just feeds on it. But when you love somebody that tries to come at you, they, they almost don't know how to respond to you. If, if they're like, man, your glasses are ugly. And you're like, you know what, I really love your shirt. What? I'm just saying it really compliments your face. It's a good color on you. Did you hear what I said? I said your face is ugly. Yeah, I know. But, hey, it's just one person's opinion. I think your face is great. <laughs> They're just like, you're stupid. <laughs> and they just walk away. You ever want to make someone look totally dumb, like really, really dumb? When they come at you, come back with love. Man, you suck at basketball. Yeah, you know, some people are good at basketball. Others are good at other things. I guess I'm just not that great at basketball. It's just not my thing. I know, that's why I said, I said you suck. Yeah, all right, well, maybe, uh, maybe I'm better at something else. I mean, what, what else are you good at? Yeah, I'm pretty good at softball. Oh, for real? I like softball. Oh, you want to play sometime? Yeah, let's play. Boom. Completely diffused. But again, you only prove how dumb you are when you respond to evil with evil. Your face is ugly. Your mom's dead. What? <laughs> why did you go there? <laughs> Some of you guys have no buffer. It's like, you're like my wife. You come at her, she just destroys you. It's not like a jab for jab. It's like, you jabbed me, I will ax you. <laughs> and listen, you might have won the argument, won the insult, but you lost the person. And you lost an opportunity to have a friend. Here, Elijah had an opportunity to take out the entire army. But guess what? Another army would have risen up. And another group of people would have attacked. And Israel still would have been in danger. But instead, he took an opportunity where he could have hurt them, and he made a peace covenant and ate with them. How do you win spiritual warfare? You understand that this fight that we're fighting is not flesh and blood. That the issue I have is not with the other person at Excel. 
that the issue I have is not with my stepmom or my stepdad or my real parents. The issue I have is not with my past. It's spiritual. And a spiritual fight can only be fought spiritually. And so if you can learn to take this in prayer, if you can learn, instead of, hey, listen, instead of nagging your mom every day for the money, just pray about it. And let God move her heart. Let God begin to open that door for them. Instead of hating that other person in your small group because they look at you funny, start praying that they, God would open their eyes so they could see who you really are. And maybe God will open your eyes to see who they really are. If you go on with Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 32 to 33, says, if you only love those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that. In other words, you're no different if you're only good to people who are good to you. But a true believer, one who is really victorious in spiritual warfare, loves everybody regardless of who they are and where they come from. Loves the kid that nobody ever wants to talk to or sit next to. Takes an opportunity to go and be friends with them. I remember one time I was working at a job. This is like 2004 or five, And uh, it was kind of a hood job. Like it was all people from the hood. And we had a good time. It was at a factory. We were all having a great time. And there was this new guy who came in. And he just dressed differently. Everybody at the time wore baggy clothes. And he wore like girls jeans that were really tight and like a tight shirt and Everybody kept calling him gay, and are you gay? And I'm like, I don't think so. And regardless, like, he's just a person. Like, why are you being mean? No, man, that mother, blah, blah, blah. And they would, like, curse about him and, like, make fun. And I remember, I'm like, I'm going to go talk to him. Yeah, you probably gay, too. I'm like, dude, seriously, he's just a human being. Like, chill. <laughs> so I went over, I talked to him, found out he was married. He had a kid. He was a Christian. <laughs> and we just struck up a friendship. And when I came back, everybody on the line, everybody in my department was laughing at me and joking about, oh, you messed up, da 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 I'm like, bro, you got like nine kids that aren't yours. I'm still good with you. And you were in jail two years ago, and I'm still friends with you. So I'm going to be friends with him. And I'm going to love on him the same way I love on your ugly face. <laughs> Why you got to tell it like it is? Well, that's how it goes, bro. <laughs> what am I saying? If you only love the people that everybody else loves, you're no better than everybody else. If you're only cool with the people because everybody else in your group is cool with them, then what credit do you get for that? But if you learn to love the one that everybody in your group likes to laugh about, and you start standing up for them and vouching for them, and saying, hey, that's not right what you're saying, even if it's true, that's what a real believer does, and that's how you win wars. And then it goes on to say in verse 35 and 36, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. What is he saying? Listen, God is good to all of us. God is good to every person. The wicked get to prosper. Everybody has that opportunity. God blesses people because he chooses to. You don't have the choice to be mean. You don't have an opportunity to hold it against them. Because here's the thing. When you think you're hurting them, really you're putting the noose around your own neck. You're tightening the restraints on your hands. You're allowing the enemy to get a hold of you and win the fight against you. I'm talking about this over the next couple of weeks because I believe as we draw closer 
to this experience that I believe God is going to break out and break away. The enemy is going to ramp things up. And there's going to be situations that are going to pop out of nowhere. Phone's going to randomly ring in the middle of the service. <laughs> Mom's going to suddenly tell you you can't go to Excel because of your grades. <laughs> situations are going to happen at home that haven't been happening. School is going to start. I mean, just I'm telling you. I'm telling you now so that you understand the schemes of the enemy. And can I just add, whatever's happening to you, I guarantee you it's twice as much happening to the leaders. Because in any war, if I can take out a captain, I'm going to take out a captain. It's why when we get together as leaders in our leader meeting, we gather together to spend the next month praying and interceding and fasting for you. But I need you guys to open your eyes. I need you to see, we don't want you to go to breakaway because, hey, we want you to have a good old time and play games and throw squids around. And it's going to be great, buddy. <laughs> Although that's true, we will have fun. But there are moments at that place where I take a step back and I see walls begin to fall. And I see people beginning to be healed. And I see God begin to penetrate and break things down. And I just get overwhelmed because I get to have a front row seat at victory in a war. It's one of the greatest feelings I get all year. But how many know we got to get there? And the enemy is going to try everything he can to stop us. But greater is he that is with us than he that is in the world. So here's how we're going to close. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you're at. And in a moment, I'm going to have us pray for each other. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. Okay, here's the thing. You can only win a spiritual fight when you're part of that army. If Canada and Mexico were fighting and I just randomly decided to get in the middle of it, I'm dead fast. I'm not a part of either party. So here's what I'm saying. If you're in this room and you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about going to church, I'm not talking about coming to this church, I don't mean religion, I mean you have a personal relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because it's only those whose eyes can be open. It's only those who have said yes to Jesus that can experience victory in his name. So if you've never made that decision, I'm sorry to tell you, but you are on the outside looking in. If you haven't made that decision, you've already lost and so I'm going to ask you privately with no one else looking around, this is a decision that you need to make on your own. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is? Do you believe that he has the authority to forgive your sins and make you brand new? Do you believe that he can give you victory in your life where you've seen loss? And if you believe, do you want to accept it? All Jesus said is you have to accept me. You don't have to go through a bunch of classes. You don't got to jump through a bunch of hoops. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you are saved. So with every head down, every eye closed, if that's you, young lady, young man, if you want me to pray for you that you would experience the salvation of Jesus Christ, just lift up your hand and I'm going to pray for you. If there's anyone here that would want that, I'll do that with you tonight.
that's you, just lift up your hand. No one's looking at you. Don't worry about that. Anyone here? Thank you, bro. Anyone else? Thank you, sweetie. Anyone else? Say, that's me, pastor. I don't want to leave here the same way. I know I've been playing games. I want to get real with God tonight. Amen. I'm going to pray for those two individuals. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for those that rose their hand. God, you see exactly who they are, and you know the heart of their heart, God. And Father, I just pray right now that they would receive you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray on their behalf, Lord, for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, I pray that they would repent, that they would acknowledge you as Lord and King. God, I pray that you would help them, God, to see you for who you are, Lord. Father, I pray against their past, that in Jesus' name tonight they would be made new, they would be made fresh, God, that they would have this new beginning and this new opportunity. Heavenly Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would accept them as your children adopted by your name, God. So, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity for them to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven and to be accepted as your son and daughter. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Now listen, those of you who rose your hand, I'm just going to ask at the end of service, just take a couple minutes. I want to talk with you. I'm going to have a couple of my leaders. We're just going to help explain what that decision meant and help you kind of take the next step forward. But before we close out, I want to pray for the people in this room, the believers. I want to pray that God would open your eyes. I want to pray against doubt, depression, anxiety, fear. I want to pray against the enemy's roar because God's bite's a lot bigger. I want to pray that God would help us in the next coming weeks as the enemy tries to rise up, that our God would rise up greater in us. So I'm going to ask you right where you are, would you just grab the hand of your neighbor just again as a sign of unity, as a sign of, of togetherness? You maybe want to wipe your hands so it's not so sweaty. Don't be that weird person. Don't like lick your palm or anything like that. That's weird. But I want to pray. I want to ask God that he would help us. Heavenly Father, God, I love these kids. I love every person in this room. But nowhere near as much as you love them, God. And Father, I thank you for them. I thank you that they're here tonight. I thank you that they had an opportunity to hear your word. But God, we don't want to coddle them. We don't want to treat them like babies. God, we want to treat them like your sons and daughters. We want to treat them like the warriors that you've called them to be. So God, I thank you in advance for everything that's going to happen over the next coming weeks. God, I thank you that you're going to accomplish infinitely more than we could have ever thought or imagined. I thank you, God, that you are willing and able to give us victory, Lord. But Father, I pray that we would be willing and able to receive it. Lord, I pray right now against the enemy's schemes. I pray against the enemy's tactics. Lord, I pray that you would give us insight, that you would open our eyes as we train ourselves by reading your word and prayer. God, I pray that you would open our eyes that we may see what the enemy is trying to do, that we would look beyond the people that he uses and see that this fight is not flesh and blood, but it is spiritual in nature, God. And Lord, I pray that as you open our eyes, Lord, you would give us victory after victory, Lord. You would give us territory after territory. And God, I pray for those moments, those opportunities when it seems like you put the enemy right in our hand. Lord, help us to love them. Help us to love the unlovable. Help us to love those that we never thought we would want to have anything to do with. Help us to forgive those we thought we would never forgive. Help us to live a life in victory, God, and not in defeat. Help us to get over our mindset and see beyond our enemy to the greater people that are around us. Lord, help us to see things the way you see them, to love the way you love, to live the way you live.
So, Father, we pray this in advance. Lord, we know that you will give us victory. Help us to receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you.